Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Good morning. I want to thank you for joining us again for another study of God's Word. We've been studying the red letters of Jesus in 2020. And particularly the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And we're going to continue that this morning with another I am statement that's found in John chapter 6. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. Let's go to God in prayer. A gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Pray your blessing upon our time here that will be glorious to you and that will be fruitful for us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll write the red letters of Jesus into our hearts and minds so that we can know him better, we can love him more, and we can obey his word. We thank you for Jesus and all that he does for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can you think of a time whenever Jesus, a uh, multitude of the disciples departed from him, when they left him and fled from him? You might take your minds back to the story of, Gen- of Gethsemane, excuse me, and we see there a time whenever Jesus' disciples departed from him. When they came to arrest him there in the garden, you remember that the Bible says they all departed and fled. And as Jesus was on trial, and he's there before the, uh, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, you remember that Peter was following after him, and he denied the Lord three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. And so we see there are times when Jesus was was deserted by his disciples. But can you think of another time when they left him in large numbers? Interestingly enough, it occurs around an I am statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 6. And that's what we want to look at today. John chapter 6 verse 15 tells us that the people were prepared to take Jesus by force and make him king. And yet at the end of that chapter in verse 66, it says that that his disciples departed from him and walked with him no more. What would cause this wide swing in emotion in in response to Jesus? What is it about this I am statement that is such a challenge for these people and even for his disciples, not just the multitude in general, but even for his disciples? And what is it that may be challenging for us today? That's what we want to wrestle with. And so we're going to look at the I am statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 6. And we're going to begin in John chapter 6 at the very beginning because we want to see the context here. John chapter 6 is a story of a miracle, a great miracle that Jesus performs, the feeding of the 5,000. You remember how this story goes. Jesus is with his disciples and he sees the multitude coming to him. And he says to his disciples in verse uh, 5, he says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now you remember Philip, he says, well, 200 denarii is not enough money to buy bread for these. Philip, or, excuse me, Andrew, he finds a young lad who has five loaves and two fishes. And he says, well, how are these enough among so many? Jesus takes those five loaves and those two fishes and he blesses them and he breaks them and he distributes among the people. And he feeds that day over 5,000 men plus women and children. And the people perceive that this was a great miracle. In fact, in verse 14, they said, This is true of the prophet who has come into the world. Their mind is on the fact that Jesus is the prophet. And they're so excited about Jesus being this prophet that they're willing to take him by force and make him king. But when Jesus perceives that, he, he departs from them. He leaves them because that wasn't his purpose. And we'll talk more about this in a little bit. 
And then in verses uh, 16 through 21, we see the story of, of Jesus walking on the water. And that's a great story for another lesson. The following day, the people, they wake up and they realize that Jesus isn't there and that the boats, there's some boats that are, uh, the, the boat the disciples were on is gone, but Jesus isn't there and he didn't get into the boat. They go looking for Jesus. They come to Capernaum and when they find him, verse 25, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus says in verse 26, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This is going to begin then a discussion where Jesus is going to drill into the hearts of the people. And he's going to help them understand that their perception of him is not who he really is. And that's what I want us to think about today is our perception of Jesus, who he really is. Do we understand him to be who he says that he is, or do we want Jesus to be something else? That's what these people are wrestling with, and that's what we want to wrestle with today as well. He tells them there in verse 27, Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And so they're thinking about, it gives a perception here that they have a spiritual mindset that they want to do things pleasing to God. It reminds us of the passage where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a perception here that these people want to do something pleasing to God. Jesus says to him, verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Now that's interesting here because they probably had in their minds to obey the Ten Commandments, to keep the law. And Jesus says that we're, the kingdom is different than that. The kingdom begins with faith. And you have to believe in the one whom God sent. Now that's going to be the tripping hazard for these people. And we'll see, as we'll see in just a moment, that's going to be the point where they're going to, they're going to stumble because they want the Messiah to be something that Jesus isn't. Verse 30 Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now this is almost laughable because they had just seen the sign the day before. Jesus taking these five loaves and two fishes and breaking them and feeding a multitude of people. When they saw that sign, they said, Truly, the prophet has come into the world. But now they want a sign. They want Jesus to prove to them who he is. And Jesus is not going to play that game. They said in verse 31, Our fathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. So they're challenging here Jesus to give them bread in the same manner that Moses gave their fathers manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said, Then most surely I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from the world and gives life to the world. Now Jesus is teeing up this I am statement he's going to make. And you probably already know what it is. But he's telling them, listen, Moses didn't give your fathers the bread from heaven. That First of all, that, we need to recognize that came from God. But we need to recognize also that the bread that comes down to God from today is not physical manna. It's not something that's going to sustain you physically. It's going to be a spiritual bread that you're going to need to feast upon. And it is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's going to be the Messiah. And so they, 
they they ask a good question, verse 34, Lord, give us this bread. And so Jesus is going to give them the bread. And he's going to do it in the form of the I am statement that we're looking for. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus here is identifying himself as the spiritual sustenance that they need. Now, we understand, even to this point in time, that they're not looking for spiritual sustenance, and that's going to become clearer as we go through the lesson. But Jesus here is expressing a great spiritual truth. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the, the bread upon which mankind will feast to have spiritual life. He goes on to say in verse 35, He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, in the minds of the Jews, this should have awakened their awareness of a passage that was spoken by Isaiah back in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 55, I want to hold your finger there in John chapter 6 and turn with me to Isaiah 55. And I want to read this passage to show uh, the spiritual sustenance that God intended for His people to have. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Is there any of that passage that stands out to you about how God would sustain his people? Notice what the, the bread and the milk and the wine represented here are. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. This passage should have been a, a, a sign to them that the spiritual sustenance that God was going to bring them, the, the sustenance that God was going to bring through the bread of life, excuse me, was not physical bread, but it was going to be spiritual sustenance to give them eternal life. You might recall that this is, this is what Jesus was alluding to in the Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus here is, is helping them to understand that the bread that they truly need is spiritual bread, not the physical. He goes on in verse 36 to say, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose none, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is, is trying to help them understand that He is spiritual life. He is spiritual sustenance. The Father sent Him to bring this spiritual life to mankind. And here is the will of the Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. These people were looking for a Jesus 
that was going to give them what they wanted in this life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not, I didn't come to do that. I came to fulfill the will of the Father, not your will. But unfortunately, that's not what these people wanted. They wanted Jesus to meet their expectations. We can see this by the way that they tripped over his statement, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 41. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? This is the same tripping hazard that the, the Jews in Nazareth tripped over whenever Jesus came into the synagogue that one Sabbath day to read the, the law, and he, or excuse me, to read from the old prophets. And he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads to them there. And he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they said, wait a second, this is the carpenter's son. This is what these Jews wrestled with was the identity of Jesus. They couldn't get past who they perceived him to be. They said, this is the son of Joseph. We know his mother and father. How can he say, I've come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus is going to explain to them that the bread he's speaking about here and by his 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 identity is keyed around things that are spiritual, not physical. Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus here is speaking to them about spiritual matters and he's telling them, as specifically in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. And, and of course, we know they died physically. But you think about the spiritual death that those people suffered because they rebelled against God, because they failed to recognize God as their ruler, as their king, as their, as their God. Sinai, you remember the rebellion that, that took place there when they made the golden calf and they worshipped it and thousands died there. You remember when they came up to the, the border of the promised land and they rebelled because 10 of the 12 spies brought them a bad report. And they continued to murmur throughout their time in the wilderness. And, and those who were rebellious against God died, even though they ate the manna. And Jesus here is helping them understand that with this mindset, with this physical, earthly mindset, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to live eternally. You're not going to have the sustenance that you need to survive into eternal life. Now, this is the same problem that we see uh, that led Jesus to speak in parables. You remember in Matthew chapter 13 how that Jesus uh, was, he began to speak in parables to the disciples, or to the to the people there. And the disciples said to him, Master, why, why do you speak in parables? Why is it that you're teaching the way that you are? And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, he says, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Forever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, 
and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. This was the same struggle that these people are having right here. They can't accept Jesus for who he is. They can't let their spiritual eyes be open to his identity. They won't allow their ears to hear what he's saying. They can't soften their hearts to come to God because of the perceptions that they have of Jesus and what they want Jesus to be. Jesus here is trying to help them identify who he is and they won't accept it. Verse 51, he says again, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And now he's going to give a statement that's really going to challenge them spiritually. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now that's a challenging statement for anybody who's thinking about Jesus from a physical standpoint. Who, who, for anybody who is looking at Jesus desiring physical bread, when they hear this statement, they're going to revolt. Notice what verse 52 says. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're thinking about cannibalism, and Jesus is talking about things of his spiritual nature. He says in verse 53, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That, from a physical standpoint, is appalling. But from a spiritual standpoint, it is refreshing when we think about Jesus being the bread of life. Now this has a, a very direct connotation in relation to the Lord's Supper. And we looking with 21st century eyes in the rearview mirror can see that Jesus here is speaking about the memorial that he's going to establish just prior to his death and that we partake of on the first day of the week. But in a larger context... Jesus here is challenging mankind to partake of his life, to partake of his identity, to feast upon his works and upon his word and upon his mission and to, to thrive upon the salvation that he brings to the world, to feast upon him and everything about him. All aspects of it that are embodied here in the idea of the flesh and the blood that are embodied here in the identity of Jesus. Jesus is challenging us today to feast upon him. So let's pause here just a second and reflect upon Jesus. What, what did the multitude want from Jesus? What do they want Jesus to be? And we think about all of the, the different challenges that they brought to Jesus and their reflection of what their perception of Jesus was and what they wanted Jesus to be. The first thing we see is they wanted a material Jesus. They wanted a Jesus that would give them stuff. Give me bread. Feed us the manna that Moses fed us in the woods. What are you going to give to us? They wanted Jesus to bring them spiritual prosperity. They wanted Jesus to bring, excuse me, physical prosperity, physical sustenance. And the question then comes to us, is that the same perception that we have of Jesus? Is Jesus a material Jesus to you and I? Are we only followers of Jesus so that he'll give us stuff? That he'll bless us with prosperity, that he'll bless us with sustenance. And we know 
that God knows that we have need of those things. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear because the Father knows that you have need of those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We know that God will provide for us, but is that all that Jesus is to us? Is it simply just a material Jesus that helps us to prosper in this world? That's a challenge for us to think about. Is Jesus simply a material Jesus? What about, what about this idea they want to take Jesus and make Him, force Him to be a king? They wanted Jesus to be a political Jesus. They wanted the Messiah to be a political Messiah. Why was that? It was because they were under Roman rule, and they wanted to be free from the Romans. They wanted to free, be free to make their own laws and to make their own decisions, to govern themselves. And in particular, they were anticipating the Messiah to come and to fix all the problems of the world, to fix poverty, to fix hunger, to fix oppression, to fix, fix political and social injustice, to bring peace to the world. And that's what people a lot of times want from Jesus today. They want Jesus to fix the problems of the world. They want the church to fix the problems of the world. You know, Jesus made the statement, the poor you always have with you. Jesus didn't come to fix this world. He came to prepare us for the next world. He came to bring spiritual life. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would fight. And so if Jesus was coming to, to fix this world, We'd have a different mission because Jesus would have had a different mission. But that's not why Jesus came. But one question we need to ask ourselves is, do we expect Jesus to be a political Jesus? If that's the case, he's not going to meet our expectations. What about a sideshow Jesus? It's almost comical that these people asked Jesus for a sign after he had done this great miracle of feeding the 5,000 plus women and children. But they said, show us a sign. Is that what we ask of Jesus today? Is Jesus a sideshow Jesus to us? Is that what the bread of life means to us? Is that Jesus just has to perform at our whim? Here's how it may look in our lives. You ever heard anybody say this? Or maybe we've said it ourselves. Lord, if you'll help me through this situation, I'll be more faithful to you. Lord, if you can just show me a sign, I'll be more faithful. Lord, if you can help me through this disease, or you can help my mama through this disease, or you can help, I'll do what you want me to do. What is that but making Jesus into a sideshow? Jesus came to give us spiritual life, and He, through the signs and miracles that He performed and are recorded for us in the Word of God, He testifies to His identity. But when we ask Jesus to do another miracle, do something else to prove to you that, that you, you are who I think you are, what is that but making Jesus a sideshow? That's what the, the Jews were after with Jesus. They were after a material Jesus. They were after a political Jesus. They were after a sideshow Jesus. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap. Jesus here with, with making the statement, I am the bread of life, is challenging their perception of Him. He challenges our perception as well. So that we see Jesus for what He really is. The Son of God come into the world to give life to man so that we can live with God throughout eternity in the next life. So with that in mind, I want to go back to the, the miracle that Jesus performed. And I want to think about what, is it, what does it mean to feed on the bread of life? 
What does it look like to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus? And I think we can learn some things from this miracle to help us to understand what feeding on the bread of life means. So we're going to begin in verse 5. And we kind of skimmed through this before, but we're going to go back and hit it with a little more detail. Verse 5, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, I want to pause right there. First off, we have to understand that Jesus is compassionate upon all mankind. That's the, that's the perception that we need to have of Jesus. Jesus is compassionate upon all mankind. We need to be compassionate upon all mankind as well. We'll see more about this in just a minute. But Jesus here, he challenges Philip with the question, Where shall we buy bread that we may eat? And what we see here then, Philip says, Well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Verse 7. Philip here was thinking about this problem from a worldly mindset. How are we going to solve this problem with physical resources? How are we going to attack this problem with, with things? Andrew, he, he goes maybe the next step further. He goes out and he finds some things that might help solve the problem, but he recognizes they're not enough. I found this lad who has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And sometimes that's the way we try to solve problems, isn't it? We try to solve them with things that we have at our, at the resources that we have at our fingertips. And one of the things that we have to understand about feeding on the Word of God is that we seek God's wisdom before we seek the world's wisdom. I hope you can look back through your lives with 2020 vision and see times whenever situations worked out completely different than you thought they would based on the resources that you had at the time, based upon the, the things, the stuff that you had available to you at the time, that, that the situation turned out completely different. And understand that it was the providence of God working there, particularly spiritually more than physically. I want us to challenge ourselves to look back at our lives, but then also to look forward for those opportunities when God's going to use His providence, His resources, His wisdom to solve a problem that from a from a worldly standpoint can't be solved there's not enough money there's not enough bread there's not enough fish to solve the problem feeding on the bread of life means that we trust jesus wisdom over the world's wisdom we trust that god is able according to his will to do all things and that's what feeding on the word of life means look at verse uh, 10 then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And the second thing we learn from the miracle of Jesus is that feeding on the bread of life means that we obey the commands of Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? What if those people didn't sit down? What if the multitude said, you know what, we want the bread, but we're not going to sit down, Jesus. We're perfectly fine sit standing up. We're perfectly fine standing here and eating. What would they have received? I can almost guarantee you they would have received zero because Jesus gave the command, make the disciples, make them sit down, make the people sit down. And it wasn't that he was asking them to do anything unreasonable. There was grass in the place. They weren't sitting out on rocks and on dirt. They were sitting on grass. And so Jesus didn't ask them to do anything unreasonable, but he simply gave them command. And the second thing we need to understand about feeding on the bread of life is when Jesus talks, we act. When Jesus gives us command, we follow them. 
You know, we look through that those Beatitudes and we may see some stuff in there that we don't want to be. I don't want to be poor in spirit. I don't want to be somebody who's persecuted for righteousness sake. I don't want to be somebody who mourns. You know what? Jesus says those are characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom. And if we want to be citizens of the kingdom, we are going to conform ourselves to the will and the word of the king. And so we understand that feeding on the word of life means that we obey the commands of God. Next we learn that Jesus is going to feed us what we need, not what we want. These uh, five barley loaves and two fishes, this was a meal of the poor. Barley was not the most desirable meal, but it was something that was able to sustain people. It was able to give them life. And we see here that Jesus uses these barley and fishes to feed the multitude. Now, you know, they may have wanted steak and potatoes, but that's not what they got. They got what was necessary to sustain them. They, Jesus took this meal that was adequate to feed the poor, and he fed the multitude, rich and poor alike. And we see from this that Jesus is going to give us what we need and not what we want. Jesus' word is going to be sufficient for our lives spiritually, even when it may not seem like that's what we that's not what I want to hear right now, Jesus. That's not what I want to do right now. It's going to be what we need to sustain us. Sometimes Jesus' word's going to hurt. Sometimes the word of God is going to hurt when we read it. Sometimes it's going to bring us pain because it's going to it's going to expose weaknesses. It's going to it's going to expose flaws in our lives. It's going to expose those areas in which we're not living in alignment with God's will. But that's its purpose is to bring us spiritual truth, spiritual sustenance. And that's what Jesus came in the world to do. The next thing we see is in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves and he broke them. And he gave to the disciples. First of all, he gave thanks. And then he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. You notice here that Jesus used the disciples to feed the multitude. And that's another thing we need to understand about feeding on the bread of life. Jesus may use us as a conduit to bring the bread of life to other people. Matter of fact, that's the purpose of the Great Commission, wasn't it? Because Jesus was going to go back up and sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he's not going to be doing this work now. And it's through you and me that the bread of life is shared with the world. Jesus is going to use us as a conduit to take the bread of life to our co-workers, to our family, to our friends, to the people at the grocery store. And we need to be looking for opportunities to do that. We need to be people who are excited about sharing the bread of life with others, sharing the sustenance of Jesus with others. The end of verse 11 says that they received as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, and we understand that God's going to give us all that we need, we never have to go hungry when we feed upon the bread of life. I can guarantee you that you can study the Bible every day of your life and you'll never plumb the depths of God's wisdom. You'll never come to the end of it. God will always have more out there for you if you're willing to be filled by Him. Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That doesn't mean that we're going to go hungry. We're going to be filled with the blessings of God if we'll pursue Him. He's always going to give us more. He's always going to give us all that we need to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through the year. And we can be filled just like these. this multitude was filled here with the bread and the fishes. 
And then Jesus says in verse 12, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. You notice here, Jesus didn't waste a thing. He made more food than was necessary. And smile I said, well, why would he do that? To show that he's capable of providing more than what's necessary. He can provide more, but he's not going to waste the extra. And we need to understand that as well. None of Jesus' teachings are wasted. None of Jesus' teachings are unnecessary. None of Jesus' teachings are more than what we need. And Jesus won't let them go, go wasted. There's going to be a time in our life when it's going to be necessary. There was the time in, these, in this multitude's life when those 12 uh, baskets full, verse 13 says, are going to be used. When would it be? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But do you think they let, you think they let it go bad? I don't think so. They were used at the appropriate time. And that's the same thing we need to understand is that God's word is going to be appropriate for us at the right time. He's always going to give us what we need. None of it is wasted. None of it's unnecessary. And verse 14 says that the men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. I hope we recognize that when we feast upon the bread of life, when we learn something spiritually from the Word of God, or we see some, some an action that reminds us of Jesus and the work that He did, that we give God glory, that we understand that we are truly feasting upon the bread of life. That's why Jesus came into the world, to give us life, to give us spiritual sustenance. And I hope that we honor Him in those moments in our lives, that we give Him the praise and the honor and the glory and we help others to do that as well. You know, this teaching was not accepted by the, the multitude and by even many of the disciples. Verse 66 again says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Isn't it heartbreaking to know that a statement that has so much depth and so much meaning and so much spiritual sustenance in it would be a choking hazard for a large group of people, including those people who are disciples. Thankfully, the Bible describes for us or tells us that there were a group of people who understood it and accepted it. Verse 67 says, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And listen to what Simon says in verse 68. I hope this is our I hope this is our mentality when it comes to the bread of life. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. Peter here is recognizing that what Jesus is saying, he's not talking about barley and he's not talking about fishes and he's not talking about physical stuff. He's talking about spiritual things. He's talking about words of eternal consequence. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ the Son of the Living God. Have you made that confession? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to do it. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the bread of life come into the world to give life to mankind, I want to encourage you to make that confession. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. If you, uh, if you haven't been baptized for the remission of sins, you need to understand that's why Jesus came and died on the cross so that you could have the remission of sins and in doing that he gave the command in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 that we are to go and preach the gospel to all creatures he who believes and is baptized verse 16 will be saved 
He does not believe will be condemned. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God come into the world? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to obey the gospel today. Let's go to God in prayer. A gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings of the bread. Help us, Heavenly Father, to to break the bread of life into our hearts and to uh, feast upon it, to understand that Jesus is all that we need. We thank you so much for your son and for the red letters, and we ask your blessing upon us today that we'll write them into our hearts. Heavenly Father, forgive us and help us to be forgiving of each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.